0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first ever episode
1: of We've Got Mail. <laughs> well, it's it's not our first letters episode, but it's our first on the Critically Acclaimed Network. And it's our first uh, official letters episode yeah. of our letters episode podcast. We, we, uh, we decided to, to, I mean, <laughs> occasionally we would use these letter episodes to sort of catch up. Because we'd answer a few letters on the show and then we'd answer a few letters on a, a, we'd get so many, we'd get so backlogged that we'd have to have special letters episodes to catch up. Why don't we just do that on the regular? Yeah, people like the letters
0: Mm. stuff. People like being able to correspond to us. We love being able to answer your questions and Mm. uh, discuss your debate topics and help you with your homework. Um, So we were just like, listen, we're creating this critically acclaimed network. We want another show right off the bat. And we thought, let's just make this show your show. Hmm. So right now we're calling it. We've got mail. My name is William Bibbiani.
1: I'm a film critic for The Wrap and Bloody Disgusting, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I write for IGN. and I have a piece coming up in TV Guide. That's very a, exciting. A new, new byline. It's always fun to get a new byline. Uh, and I don't have a cool nickname. People just call me the Snot. I suppose. People give you nicknames all the time. You just never accept I, them. I don't like them. <laughs> you don't get to
0: choose your yeah, nickname. I guess not. If I chose my nickname, I'd be. Rockmeister McCool or something instead of Bibbs.
1: You wouldn't be you.
0: You didn't choose Bibbs. No, it's just Bibbs
1: chose me. Okay. Oh, uh, in that case, my nickname is Rockmeister McCool. Damn it! (laughs) (laughs) And I want you to call me Rockmeister McCool from now on.
0: I can respect that. ROC. If you want to email us, might as well tell you up front, uh, the email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. And this can be uh, letters about our various shows, Critically Acclaimed, Cancel Too Soon, The Two Shot, We've Got Mail, uh, or it can be about anything you want, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're pretty open books. Uh, we can't promise we'll read every single letter we get, because we get a lot, and sometimes they double up, and they're kind of about similar topics. Um, sometimes we get stuff that's just sort of just like, I'm not entirely sure this isn't spam, so we just <laughs> gonna read that one. But um, generally speaking, mm-hmm. we'll talk whatever you want. And uh, we have a ton of letters already, some of which are brand new just for the show, yep. some of which are a bit part of our backlog, and we want to go kind of back and forth mm-hmm. um, so that we're... We do feel somewhat caught up. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you've written this in the past and we haven't written your letter yet, stick around. There's a good chance we will in the future. Whitney. Yes. What do we have to start off our very new uh, uh, letters episode podcast? Let's see. Podcast.
1: Podcast. Well put together. nice, Nice organized thought you got there. (laughs) Well, fresh off the skillet, uh, we have a letter from... And this is our newest letter. So we're going to start at at the newest. We'll sort of bounce around, like you said. Um, This comes from David Mitchell Baker. Hello, David Mitchell Baker. Hello. Now, we're going to read these letters however you sign them off. I'm not going to read your name off of the subject line. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you don't sign off, I'm just going to say name redacted. Mm -hmm.
0: Or you can give us an alias if you want. mm -hmm. You could be, you know... uh, uh, William from mm. Wisconsin. Or, or, or
1: you could be Rockmeister McCool. Rockmeister like. McCool
0: yeah. has taken, Whitney has taken <laughs> Rockmeister McCool.
1: From Rockmeister McCool. We're about to get a flood of letters from Rockmeister McCool. <laughs> anyway, this says, hi, Bibbs and Whitney. Hi. Hi. Scintillating beginning. Uh, Long time listener, first time writing in. Yeah. Uh, I've been a big fan of yours for a while now and have to say... Uh, You have become my go-to film critics to help me decide what to see, as I don't have the time, energy, and capacity to see everything. Whilst I sometimes agree, Whitney, you're right, Booksmart is one of the best films of the year. Thank you. And sometimes disagree, Bibbs, you're wrong, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is great. Fine. You're wrong. (laughs) I can't comment. My boss made it. Uh, I always find your discussions on film insightful and edifying your podcast is like an extension to my film degree. Oh, well, we we try. That means a lot to us. Thank Uh, you. Anyway, quick question before my main question. Where did you guys get your killer theme music from? Ah. I'd like to think you recorded it yourself. I picture Bibs on drums and Whitney on bass. <laughs> Sadly, um, we're not that talented.
0: No, 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 no. I, oh. I've done some singing, but I never really picked up an instrument. Um, it depends on what theme music you're talking about. If you're talking about the theme music to Critically Acclaimed... Uh, that is an original track uh, written for us by a band called Clutch Douglas, uh, that the lead singer and uh, songwriter, her co-songwriter, is my sister. Uh, so, you know, we had an in, um, but uh, to the best of our knowledge, that track has never been made available anywhere else that is exclusively ours. It is written about us. It has our names in it. Um, and it's been really cool and it was exactly what we wanted and
1: And it's it's followed us across numerous podcasts well that one's
0: ours no one else owns that that is exclusively Mm -hmm. our track thanks courtesy to Clutch Douglas Uh, the rest of our shows uh here, here and there, uh, let's see. The two shot is another Clutch Douglas track. You can go to, but that was that was a pre existing Clutch Douglas track, so you yeah. can buy that one.
1: Yeah, yeah, that or that one actually was, may was be that one called Dark free... Wizard Love, or was that a different one? Dark Wizard
0: Love is a different one. Oh. I think the hold on, let me let me look up the name of that track. I just want to make sure I get it right, so you can I'll look up. That one's called Gold Coins. Gold Coins, All right. um, which is off the album Gold Coins. Which um, let me make sure. I think they're on SoundCloud. Let me, <laughs> okay, let me uh, let me make sure. I don't, I don't
1: know how the kids are getting your music uh, these days. Clutch. I got CDs. If you go to
0: Clutch Douglas, uh, Douglas has two S's in it. .bandcamp.com, Bandcamp dot com. Bandcamp. You right. can listen to uh, several of their albums and acquire their music. Uh, they have albums called Big Ego, Gold Coins, and Get Juicy. Uh, they are—they're all wonderful tracks. They're all toe tappers, uh, and I highly recommend them. However, our, the one outlier is our theme song to
1: Cancel Too Soon. And that was done by Andy Hentz. That's something we specially commissioned for the show. Yeah, uh, I, I, I called it. He's a, he was an old coworker of mine. He's a talented musician, and I asked for a theme song. He's done music for like student films and short films in the past. And we wanted he, something he wrote that a, sounded a, like the A
0: yeah. e team. Yeah,
1: he wrote he wrote a stage musical once called Bo Fib, which is this big, long, like two and a half hour operatic thing. Uh, it was really fascinating. And yeah, so I said, hey, can you do a theme song for us? Do the A-Team.
0: Yeah, basically just make it about an said, 80s adventure show. And
1: I said, yeah, a little bit where we can talk and then do the adventure music. It's like, okay, I'll do that. And it, he nailed it. He yeah. did it perfectly the first time.
0: Right off the bat. It was yeah. exactly right. The only thing we asked for was like a little bit of outro music as well, which is basically just something he had already, but yeah. isolated. So um, yeah, we had some good ends. We know mm. some talented musicians. So
1: um, mm. yeah, that's where you can no. get most of that stuff. Uh, but he says my main question my main question uh, may be a little heavy but here goes. goes. What are your general thoughts on some positive and negative depictions of depression in cinema? Ah. Personally having faced many struggles myself I always find myself moved greatly by honest real and sensitive portrayals of depression in movies. Three of my favorite films of all time are led by three of my favorite performances of all time and each of these are films about characters struggling with mental health issues these being Timothy Cotton in Ordinary People Mm -hmm. Casey Affleck in Manchester by the Sea and my number one favorite of all time performance in film Logan Lerman in The Perks of being a wallflower yeah it's a good performance uh, these movies to me convey accurately what living with these struggles is like and the directors really enable us to get inside the characters and understand them while simultaneously effectively letting us see the world and those around how they do I find them to be effective window into these struggles and can uh, can really for those who don't understand help us gain a better understanding and learn how we struggle to be sensitive and help our loved ones who struggle uh, on the other side of the film, you have films, for example, like the 2018 version of A Star is Born, which turns depression and suicide into a plot point or a dramatic climax yeah. or a Hollywoodized tragic ending like Romeo and Juliet. There's a mustache twirling villain uh, where a mustache twirling villain tells the main character to kill themselves, which they then do. I really feel like these depictions can cheapen and unfortunately demonize those with mental health. I haven't seen Joker yet. I was going to bring up Joker. Yeah, but I hesitate uh, to see Arthur as branded as mentally ill en route to becoming a mass murdering anarchist. I don't want to see movies that treat suicide so simply as it's so sad he died, especially when Sam Elliott's characters, uh, blames the victim and shames him in the next scene or quote, he's mentally ill and now he's a mass murderer. That's how you get media stories of a troubled, unfortunate young white man who shot up a school. Uh, if cinema is to hold up a mirror to our society, then these cheap superficial depictions are harmful and really should not be portrayed by filmmakers as if they are going to h- handle the responsibility of actually delving into the issue and trying to say something meaningful or shed some light on important issues that our society still struggles with. Uh, Eloquently stated. Uh, Yeah. Thanks for your hope and have a great week, David.
0: Um, I've been very upfront, or at least I try to be, about my own mental health uh, struggles. Mm. I do have depression. I also have anxiety. That is not a fun combo. Um, And uh, living with it is complicated and difficult and some days are easier than others. Mm. And like a lot of things, uh, storytellers sometimes treat these elements of our lives really beautifully and fairly, and sometimes people who either don't know how it works or don't care, doesn't really serve their purpose, or Mm. think they're sort of optional, get it wrong. And I think representation really matters, especially if there isn't a lot of it.
1: Well, I'm not going to say it's representation. I'm not not sure if we're trying to represent a class of people. I think Mm. we're just trying to accurately portray uh, an actual psychological human state of emotions.
0: I'm going to disagree with Mm. that, because I think representation goes beyond... Class, mm. And I think what representation does in a case of something like mental health mm. is it destigmatizes it, mm. and it lets people know that mental health isn't something that only a small number of people are going through. Mm. Everyone, or not all, not everyone, maybe mm. a lot of people are going through mental health issues big and small, Yeah, and there is a very pronounced social stigma against discussing it in great detail, mm. and... I think that the more we discuss these things in public, be it on podcasts and movies, and the more that movies and TV shows portray this these elements of our lives, you know, they can be plot points. They're still movies, but fairly, yeah. Uh, the easier it is to have that conversation in person. We've all seen, uh, you know, things in movies that make us uncomfortable bringing up that topic in public because. You know, oh, well, I have depression. Well, I've seen movies, so I know what that's like. Mm. No, you don't. So the conversation can be more complicated. And you're right, some movies do a
1: better job than others. Yeah, I I think that's a result of... um, Quite frankly, I think that's an American habit Mm. to uh, treat mental illness as if it's either... uh, a. a stain or even a superpower uh, like Mm. that that happens sometimes you saw that predator film that was terrible the predator predator. that
0: that dealt mental illness really badly in a couple levels one it Mm. made it comic relief two it suggested that the cure for mental illness is to quote unquote man up which is terrible advice uh and see it suggested mm. that mental health issues like say autism uh, aren't just you know a state of being, but make you awesomer. Yeah,
1: like you're the next step in human evolution, man. Which is the opposite. Which is really of, condescending. Yeah,
0: which is which isn't maybe not as bad as mm. saying that it makes you inferior, but it's also kind of dehumanizing mm. and still
1: turning you into a plot point. But I think uh, if you go to European films and uh, international films, they are going to be a little bit more frank about sort of the depressive mindset. You see a lot of German films, a lot of a lot of Swedish films. Yes. <laughs> uh, Sweden and Denmark are great about exploring depression uh, and the depressive mindset in a really is. accurate Maybe way. Maybe they're just more comfortable with it over
0: there. Bad weather. I
1: don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. Ingmar Bergman has has written a roadmap. map. Of what human depression looks like. Lars von Trier did the same thing in a much more adolescent sort of way, but he's doing it accurately. Mm. You know, his his film like his film Antichrist is really shocking and is supposed to be really kind of shocking, but it gets depression really accurate.
0: I haven't seen that one, so right. I can't speak to it. The the film most recently that uh, captured depression and it's a tragedy mm. it's a genuine tragedy and it's based on a true story and i've talked about it a lot recently because i feel it's a really good counterpoint to joker mm. which does use mental health as a very perfunctory plot point point. and i feel like it brings up the idea that there are social issues involved with mental health people are uncomfortable with it there isn't a lot of help out there and then that's where the movie stops mm. <laughs> yeah that's where joker stops joker thinks that is brilliant to bring up it's not. That's the starting point for more mm. mature conversations and more mature stories about depression. And my favorite one in recent years—it's—it's it's a rough sit because it's depressing. It's a movie about depression that it captures it accurately. Uh, is Christine? Mm. Uh, I, I thought you were going to say you're never really here. But, uh, you're uh, never here is also a great one. We mm. can talk about that in a second. But Christine stars
1: Rebecca Hall mm. as Christine um, Chubbuck, who, yeah, a, a real real person who yeah. a reporter in Florida, no, notoriously committed suicide on camera.
0: Yeah, and the film is about the events that led up to that. And it's not really a, you know... In Joker, you see a series of very clear bullet points. This bad Mm. thing happened, and this bad thing happened, and that led to a breakdown. Mm. And Christine, there are elements of that, but they're not simple plot points. They're social things that you can't get out of. Social uh, awkwardness, the need to uh, project strength, and as a result... Uh, or the perceived need to project strength and as a result you're not expressing the vulnerability you have that needs to be addressed and desperately. Uh, Misogyny in the workplace, the glass ceiling that prevents Mm -hmm. uh, someone from achieving their goals and as a result feeling like they're completely stymied and stifled. There's a brilliant scene in Christine where a friend who actually is trying to reach out to her and say, listen, I've had my own issue is that you go to like the other support group with me mm. she thought it was a date so it's a real bummer and she goes and they do this exercise where you talk to two people you sit right next to each other and you tell them your problems and then the other person just says and it's not that bad mm. and then christine very calmly lays out all the problems she has and the person says well it's not that bad what about this and then she has an answer for all of that mm. and after a while the person's just like I got, I yeah, got an okay. You, for you. you have you're 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 right. You should be depressed. <laughs> and that's how it feels. Mm. You, you know, depression can feel like logic mm. when it's it's not. It's a perception and a very negative perception and it's something mm. I struggle with. And um so that one that one ends sadly, but it is a cautionary tale. Mm. So I think that one's a great one. You were never really mm. here is an excellent one. That one's yeah, more specifically about suicidal ideation.
1: Well, uh, I, and I think that not just because it start, also starts in Joaquin Phoenix, but yeah. I think it goes more to uh, Joker in that uh, Joker is very much about violence, hmm. not just violence to yourself, but violence to the world around you. And that's a way depression can really manifest itself. Um, this is something I think Lars von Trier really nailed in his films. When you are depressed, you have an impulse to insult and destroy. It's like, why are you bothering me? You suck. Like, you, you start insulting and pushing people away through rage. And I think uh, Joker deals with that very clumsily. And I think you were never really here uh deals with that sort of life of violence and how that kind of leaks inward and outward. Yeah. This man lives a life of violence and that's sort of turned into a, a form of self-hatred. However, I do think there's mm. also this frustrating tendency for people to treat
0: depression as though it was monolithic mm. and it's the only emotion you can feel. It is possible to... Uh, Present all sorts of emotions while still feeling an underlying depression. There's actually a really good film. It made a bit of a splash out of Sundance and then kind of vanished when it finally got released. Mm. Uh, but it stars Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader called the Skeleton Twins. Mm, I um, didn't see it. It's really good. It's a sweet film. It's funny and it deals with serious depression. Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig play a brother and sister. Uh, I believe, if memory serves, it's been a bit since I've seen it, I believe their father killed himself when they were very young. Mm. And that basically infused in them the idea that that's their inevitable fate (laughs) that that's how they're going to go out and a lot of the film is them trying to be there for each other during extremely depressing times and trying to bring each other out and remember that life is full of connections and joy and it's very very funny but it's also very very frank they've both been through some very bad things Um, and the idea that even You know, the kind of life that we would normally see in a light comedy is a struggle, Mm. depending on your mindset. Um, It's a really beautiful film, actually. I like mm -hmm. it a lot.
1: Um, But what I was getting to earlier about how American films don't really do this as often, American films... I mean, there's a reason there's the phrase Hollywood ending exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, this notion that uh, films need to be kind of edifying or uplifting. That's their function. A lot of people only see films as uh, as escape. I disagree with this interpretation of the art form. Mm-hmm. But uh, the idea that you need to go to a film in order to uh, to feel better, that they're there mm-hmm. to provide a little hit of joy. Some films are
0: definitely about that.
1: Well, absolutely, they yeah. are. But you know, to, to f- see all of cinema as only functioning as only that is is really limiting. So, American films want to put on a happy ending. They want to put in something that's not ambiguous. Mm-hmm. They want to put in something that's easily digestible, mm-hmm. that you can discuss in a positive way with your friends and leave you feeling, if not necessarily great at the end, at least sort of uh, peaceful. And make no mistake, this is not.
0: It can be an artistic decision. There are a lot of happy endings that totally fit the movie. Yeah, I mean, It's a Wonderful Life is a story of low-key depression that reaches an enormous low point Uh and leads to a character almost killing themselves. And then it's basically the entire universe stages an intervention. And it's a beautiful film. That Mm -hmm. has a happy ending, and it earns that happy ending. Yeah, Um, A lot of the Hollywood happy endings, that's an economic decision. That is the studio saying, whenever, like, you see a movie, like, oh, it had an original ending and it was more of a bummer and then Mm. the studio said the characters have to live at the end, that's not necessarily artistic. That's often the studio saying, we'll make more money if this comes across like a narcotic. Mm. And people at the end are like, oh, that feels great. I feel so much better after watching that. Let's go again or let's buy it on DVD or or whatever. That's a financial decision. Yeah. That's not necessarily an artistic decision. It can be. But the Hollywood ending is... (laughs) <laughs> I hesitate to say a lie because that doesn't mean life doesn't have happy endings. Yeah. But it's treated like a lie. It's, it's, it's treated, treated yeah, like pandering. it's
1: treated like a, a like a pleasant fable, and and depression has no place in that. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially if if you're dealing, if you want to tell a story that's about depression, that's about suicide, it's kind of hard to write a. a uplifting story about that.
0: And to be clear, depression and suicide don't go hand in hand. No. It's possible to be depressed and not have any thoughts. But
1: you did mention depression. You also mentioned specifically A Star is Born. Yeah. Uh,
0: And I actually actually think Star is Born, even though it's a clumsy melodrama, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's it's certainly just very forthright. Um, You know, I think Bradley Cooper's performance was actually very, very strong. It's just... It's so tidy
1: hmm.
0: the way that it occurs. Yeah, it's yeah. so tidy. So uh,
1: it's it's a fine film. I well, I, I, didn't, I, didn't fa- I didn't fall in fall in love with it the way a lot of people did, yeah. but it's uh, it's a good directorial I, debut. I'll say that much. I appreciate the films that rather than dealing with suicide as sort of a larger issue among a group of people, delve into the actual psychology of it yeah. and give you the viewer just an accurate roadmap of what that state of mind looks like and feels like, because yeah. once you have the roadmap, you're much more able to traverse that. I'm not going to say work your way out, but if you know yourself better, that's going to let you, uh survive.
0: And none of this is a substitute and nor should it be mm. for therapy or analysis, oh which no. I'm a firm. Yeah. I just let you know, I'm a firm believer in it. It's helped my life immensely. Um, and if anyone listening hmm. is dealing with mental health issues and they haven't sought help yet, I highly recommend it. Uh, I, I know some therapists might seem very expensive. There's a lot of teaching colleges out there. I've, I've mm-hmm. used them before, where it's very cheap, sometimes even free, and you're with people who are graduate students or about, and you can get that help mm-hmm. much very affordably, and it, it makes all the difference. So uh, we need to move on because another- <laughs> we really want to talk about a Let's whole bunch of other topics. Talk about but-
1: a, a, another something a little bit more uplifting. Here's a, okay. here's a letter about action movies, and it's from. Just signed off letter B. Hello, letter B. Uh, Dear Bibbs and Whitney, uh, it's just after midnight on Friday. (laughs) Or I guess Saturday. And I can't sleep, Uh. so it must be time for a letter. I'm reading it very dramatically. This is how I imagine them writing it. Sounds melodramatic. My dad and I have fundamentally different tastes in film. The perfect example of this is comparing Hobbs and Shaw with Mad Max Fury Road. Okay. Two non non-stop action films. I found Hobbs and Shaw mind-numbingly boring. Oh, goodness me. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on. on. Let's see where we're going here. And Fury Road, an exhilarating piece of filmmaking. Well, it is. My dad found Hobbs and Shaw quite fun and sees Fury Road as a meaningless exercise in grotesque violence. When I ask why, and when I explain my position, it ends with in my dad saying, please just let me enjoy the things I enjoy. Don't try and ruin my good experience with it. Now, I know the meme, let people enjoy things, has been addressed on your podcast quite well, but I feel this is different. Should I just let him enjoy Hobbs and Shaw, a film that really offers nothing in terms of cinematic value, but evidently was a good time for him? I start film school in a little over a week. You have been integral, in fact, fundamental in expanding my horizons. Thank you for everything you do, B. Well, you're quite welcome. That's
0: very nice. Um, The let people enjoy things meme, let's just go back to this for a second, because I do think it's relevant. Briefly. Yeah, briefly, uh, there was a comic strip, and uh, someone was enjoying something sports-related, and someone who wasn't into sports was making fun of the sports, and uh, the guy, like, pursed his friend's lips Hmm. shut and says, shh, let people enjoy things. Mm-hmm. The problem with that wasn't that one sentiment because in that particular context it was reasonable. Mm-hmm. The problem is that when you st- people started using that to shut down
1: it, contradictory the, thought. It wasn't the let people enjoy things that we objected to it was the sh-
0: Yeah, <laughs> it, the, let there be let there be no dissent. Yeah,
1: let, let, let's let's not discuss. I need you to shut up. And not and not dissent. And the issue was that meme was brought up most frequently in defense of things that were the most popular films ever made. Yeah, it's like,
0: a, like oh, you're criticizing Star yeah, Wars.
1: A, a new Star Shh. a new Star Wars film comes out, and a, a bunch of critics say, "Gosh, there's a lot of problems with this." And this massive audience that was already giving this film billions of dollars was saying, "You don't get to dissent." It's our job to dissent, especially with the most popular things. Yeah, Rhythm in that, in that case, the critics are not punching downward. Yeah, you're, you're, you're punching. You're punching down at us. You're the winners. You won pop
0: culture yeah. in that case. <laughs> um, your case is, is that you're describing anyway uh, is a little bit more specific than that because it's not about shutting down dissent. It's about an ongoing difference of opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a matter of taste. Um, something I understand very well. My dad had terrible taste in movies and I loved him for it. (laughs) One of his favorite movies was a night at the Roxbury. One of his favorite movies, (laughs) a movie I find kind of funny, but my dad loved it. It's a terrible movie and that's fine. Mm. It sounds like you had the conversation. It sounds like you had a little debate about it. It sounds like you addressed each other's concerns and it sounds like at some point you're not going to convince him not to like a thing. Mm. It sounds like he gets your point. It sounds like he disagrees. It sounds like you get his point. It sounds like you disagree. I think at that point, it's okay to let that one slide.
1: Yeah, well, and maybe have a, a little bit more of a, of a discussion. You say uh, he thinks that Mad Max Fury Road is an exercise in mindless violence. It is a violent film. Yes, it is. There's a lot of violence in that film. And it's I think the way it's depicted in an R-rated film is hard, hard-edged, and kind of brutal. Yes, it is. Uh, it's not without purpose. It's that's the aesthetic of the film, and it is with purpose. But if you are averse to hard-edged violence and you don't like seeing violence depicted in a particularly brutal way, you might recoil from that. I can see why he might say something like that about Mad Max: Fury Road. Again, it's all a matter of taste.
0: I yeah. mean, some people just can only handle mm. so much violence, or so much sensuality, mm. or so much or s- blasphemy, or I, whatever. I know? have
1: I have a low tolerance for sentimentality, and I'm going mm. to mark a film down if it's a little too sappy. Some people can't handle a mm. movie if there's any
0: violence against an animal, mm. and I get that. Yeah, That's fine. So, they don't have to be taught to yeah. like that.
1: It's okay to just say I don't like that. Meanwhile, Hobbs and Shaw is dumb fun. Yeah. I think it's quite enjoyable. I'm, I'm with your dad on that. Um, I'm not... You, you, it's also you know, it's okay for him to let him have that. It's fine. I
0: think so. That's, that's, it's, also, it's harmless in this case. Yeah, he's yeah he's
1: not enjoying. Is he not it.
0: letting you have Mad Max Fury Road? If yeah. that's an issue, if he's saying like no, this is terrible, I don't want out of my house, hmm. then you have a leg to stand on because it's an unreasonable double standard. Here, it just sounds like you yeah. like different movies.
1: Yeah, yeah, and also, and this this goes to a bigger issue that I think is kind of been something critics have had to deal with for the last ten or fifteen years or so. And this goes back to the let people enjoy things argument. Criticism is okay. <laughs> Criticism is not cancellation. Criticism, Criticism is not winning. Is not I think it's ne- more important. It's not negging. It's not trying to undo anything. It is analysis.
0: And I want to make it clear we're not accusing you of doing any of those things, but there can be a difficult thing when we have a debate with people mm. over the quality of a movie that if you don't win, the conversation isn't over. It's okay to just say, listen, we've talked it out. I presented my argument. You presented your argument. We're at an impasse. You don't seem to see it my way. Or just say, I talking,"
1: or "I get it, but it's not for me. That's a way, that's a great way to have that conversation. And when he says, don't let, like, let me have this, Well, you're not not letting him have that. You're just presenting a critical argument. And I think people get on Twitter a lot and say, oh, well, I didn't like this film. Let me have it. I'm not taking it away. Yeah. I think there are mistakes in this film. I'm analyzing this. I'm adding to the conversation. I'm trying to be helpful.
0: (laughs) Yeah. How dare you like thing I don't like or vice versa. Just like the
1: thing I love. Keep
0: doing it. I don't give a shit. I'm just trying to articulate my point. It is the job of a critic to articulate their point clearly. If someone sees your point, understands it, and still disagrees, you still did
1: your job. Also, and this goes to an even larger issue, it's okay to like something that you know isn't great art. That's also true. Your liking it doesn't necessarily make it great art. It's okay to like and love and devote your entire life to something you can personally acknowledge as low entertainment. Yeah. There are indeed different levels of entertainment. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that you're into a certain type and not a different type. And if somebody comes at you and says, I, I think this is low entertainment, that's just descriptive. It's not lambasting that thing.
0: And, and again, we don't know all the details yeah. of the situation. And I would love to hear this conversation between you and your dad because mm. I'm trying to picture like having an argument. Of, like, I prefer Mad Max Fury Road. I prefer Hobbs and Shaw. Okay, well, let's talk about the differences. Mm. The argument that Mad Max Fury Road is an empty exercise in violence and style Mm. I disagree, but I can see why you'd say that because narratively it's so stripped down. Yeah. You know, like maybe you're not picking up on the details that bring out the story and make it more complicated than it might first appear. Mm. Are you saying Hobbs and Shaw has depth? Because <laughs> it does not. It's thicker, mm. you know, it's got more stuff in it. Yeah. But it's intensely shallow. Mm. But it's not trying to be anything but shallow. Yeah. Also, apparently, it's very windy outside. I don't know if you can hear the wind chimes. I don't know if that's <laughs> annoying very, or not. It's very peaceful. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in any case, it sounds like, here's what it sounds like, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you have a pretty healthy relationship with your dad, where you're not just watching stuff together, you're talking about it. Mm-hmm. And you won't always see it eye to eye, and that's fine Mm. it's totally fine it is okay to let him have it as long as he's letting you have the thing you like then you don't need to keep pushing and pulling um you're gonna keep exploring movies Mm. together and uh, i i miss my dad so much because we used to watch historical movies together and he would tell me everything that was wrong about it (laughs) and i would be like dad i i don't care that the i don't Care that the Visigoths wouldn't flank like that. I just, <laughs> I'm just watching the movie. Let me have this, Dad. But it was an interesting conversation. But the tortoise battle formation was extinct for 200 years by the time they're using in this movie. My dad would know that. Like it's, it was, it was upsetting. He would like interrupt mm-hmm. and we would go see Gladiator, and he would just be like, nope. Yeah, I'm my, like, oh my, my
1: gosh. My, my mom worked in hospitals. Whenever she watches a medical show, like every 30 seconds. No, that's wrong. Oh, that's wrong. Oh god. No, you wouldn't put a glove in your pocket. <laughs> Like we see, if you've ever seen medical shows where people like put on rubber gloves and stick their hands in bloody bodies, and they just walk out of the room with bloody hands and just like. Whip the gloves off of their hands spraying the walls with blood <laughs> yeah. and put them in their pocket it's like that's that's biological waste you need to dispose of that properly <laughs> spraying disease everywhere Yeah, that always drove her crazy so now I notice that stuff because yeah. my mom always brought it up uh, but in any case it but, sounds yeah. like you have a good relationship with your dad and I hope you continue to watch good movies yeah. together yeah. Well, uh, let's move on uh, this comes from Sam with a Beard Okay. We <laughs> wrote off it. Do I know Same any Sam's who don't have a beard? Is it Sam with two M's? Is it you know, Sam Levine? I know that in, in this country, we have reached critical beard. More, <laughs> more, I'm, I'm not kidding. More men have beards than not in this country in the, in the present day.
0: Look, I'm not sure who... Exactly mm-hmm. Convinced men all over the world To put a sharp object on their cheek And scrape <laughs> Every single it's, morning
1: Dude we've done stupider things for fashion Fashion, I is
0: know just fashion. I'm just saying like I get uh, rejecting it It's kind of arbitrary and beards can look really really nice They had shape to your face mm-hmm. Yeah works
1: Of course I still have to shave my neck I get a Well you always neck, gotta, you always gotta
0: tidy it up a bit yeah, Putting
1: yeah. a, a razor to my neck Seems much more insane than on my cheeks Let's move on Uh Anyway, Sam with a beard. <laughs> so you notice Gillette has to say, no, no, it's for your arms and legs now. It's for your uh-huh. body. It's a body razor. Moving on. All right. Um, I've noticed you guys read a lot of letters about serious movie topics. While I find them interesting, I thought I'd write about something a little more fun. Cool. Uh, this is going to be a two-parter, but I ho- it shouldn't take too long. Hopefully this isn't cheating in some way. <laughs> you guys have said that there is a moratorium on this joke sequel title Electric Boogaloo. Yes, we have. Yeah. You can't go to that as your joke title subtitle anymore for a sequel. Off, off the table. It's been yeah. overused. We, we decided There's we a moratorium on electric boogers. I assume
0: we're going to talk about it in a second. Yeah. But for the record, uh, if you want to take a joke title mm-hmm. like it's blank two mm-hmm. subtitle, you are allowed to use either the Deadly Art of Illusion mm-hmm. or the Desolation of Smog.
1: Yeah. In fact, he says uh, you've suggested alternatives like Day of the Soldado and, <laughs> and, and the Desolation that. of Smog.
0: There's but I, I'd, of I'd like to
1: suggest game. some of these others and see what you think. Okay, uh, Cruise Control. Cruise Control. Cruise good. Control. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Lady Bird 2, Cruise, cruise control. control. I like it.
1: <laughs> little Women, Cruise Control. Uh, blank with a Vengeance. Okay, all right. So what Thor just, with a Vengeance.
0: That, well, that one actually kind of works. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like something a little bit more like mm. abstra- Ad Astra with a Vengeance. Ad
1: Astra with a Vengeance. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, a Tale of Two Kitties. Excellent. Excellent. That's an excellent suggestion. Ooh,
0: but we got—you got to come yeah. up with. Like, we got to come up with a, yeah. a, a touch of evil. A tale of two kitties.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, blank takes Manhattan.
0: Always good. Yeah, always a good one. Always good. Uh, hold, see, on, hold on. Hold on. You got yeah, to right, okay. come up with it Got to come up with it. Doctor Detroit takes Manhattan. Well, Actually, okay. that one makes kind of that, sense. Yeah, too. I was about to say. <laughs> that one makes. volt takes Manhattan. No, he kind of did that already, didn't he?
1: That, that was the first movie. Yeah, really Five kind of like was. Manhattan. <laughs> In retrospect. The, the Witch Takes Manhattan. There you go. That's kind of fun. <laughs> the, the Witch takes Manhattan. I
0: like T- it.
1: Takes a a, a a double A for the, the DM. Anyway. Yeah. Uh Season of the Witch.
0: Uh okay. Yeah. The yeah. Witch, Season of the Witch. Yeah. No wait, B- that one B- works smart too.
1: Two Season of the Witch. Like it. Uh Blank's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Thor's Dead, The Final Nightmare.
0: Um Thor. Lady Bird's dead, the final Lady nightmare. Lady Bird's dead. Why are you going I, Tanya Lady bird? is dead, the final nightmare. <laughs>
1: uh, the search for Spock, a little too specific. Um, but, of course, we to talk about smell so I think that's fine. No, no, it's fine. It's a search
0: for Spock. So mm-hmm. it would be like mm-hmm. uh, Moonlight 2, the search for Spock. Mm-hmm. That's kind of funny. Uh,
1: episode blank, episode uh, number, the blank strikes back. Episode 2, the blank strikes back.
0: Okay, so what do we got here? We got uh, uh, t- Birdman bird or the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance 2. The
1: bird strikes back. The bird strikes back. Yeah, like <laughs> Uh, First Blood Part Two, and yeah, yeah, and, and Voyage of the Dawn Treader. <laughs> I like Voyage of the Dawn Treader.
0: Voyage of the Dawn Treader, definitely. <laughs> De- Apollo thirteen 2, Voyage, Voyage of, of the Dawn, Dawn Treader. Treader. Yeah, I like it. I like it all. All yeah, of those those are, work. Those are going. Uh, You're allowed to use all of those. They're
1: fine. Yeah, uh, th- those are yeah, completely expected. Yeah, acceptable. we get all our seal approval. Um, Onto the second part. I'd like to challenge you to a game I'm stealing from, Sincast. I don't know Sincast. No, that I do um, It's a recasting game. I'll give you a ca- classic movie, and you guys have to try to recast it and remake it using actors who are alive and working today. Okay. You can cast it however you want, but you can't change the plot of the movie. The movie is Casablanca. Do we choose the director or just the cast? Uh, I think just the cast. Uh, your loyal patron, Sam with a beard. P.S. Growl, growl. <laughs>
0: um, okay. So it's World War II. It's not modern. It's a World War II film. Okay. Right? You're not Contemporizing uh, the film Right We're just, uh, I, it's remaking, just uh, it.
1: remaking it And the cast That that was our assignment
0: Because we're Contemporizing okay. it That opens a lot of doors But if it's set in World War II We're limited to
1: Certain social mores Of like mm. who would be Owning a business and yeah. So Um, So like we couldn't cast Davi Diggs as Rick That wouldn't work so well That would be cool though I'd love to see Davy Diggs would make a great Rick He would make a great Rick That would be kind of cool A a black man owning a bar in Morocco During World War II Well I mean like Yeah Perhaps not Maybe I
0: don't know if it would be the one That the Nazis would hang out at He
1: wouldn't He wouldn't necessarily be American He would be just native Moroccan Yeah, I mean, again, would would the Nazis hang out there? That would change the the story a little bit. That would change the narrative.
0: Unfortunately, certain historical narratives are limited by the racist uh,
1: uh, morals of the time. But um, Well, Rick, obviously, you cast Ryan Gosling. Really?
0: I don't think I'd take him seriously. I think I would reject him as a serious lead, like, Mm. as casting. I think that, as a studio head, I'd be like... Are people going to accept him as a serious dramatic lead? People are going to Absolutely. look at Ryan He's a Reynolds. Dramatic actor. People are going to see Ryan Reynolds. Oh, or
1: did I say Ryan Reynolds? Yes, you did. Oh, I meant Ryan Gosling. Oh,
0: Ryan Gosling? Yeah, yeah I could see Ryan. Sorry,
1: Gosling. I had Ryan Gosling in my meta. Okay, I, had, no, I just go, said Ryan Reynolds. Eh, not, Ryan, not my first choice, but Ryan I see Reynolds it. could play uh the Claude Rains role. Mm, yeah. Ryan, Ryan Reynolds would be a good Claude Rains. Um Yeah, I can see. It. Actually, I, I always I always imagine that
0: character being a little older like, and because mm. French, my first thought would be Vincent Cassell.
1: Okay yeah. Um. But uh, yeah. I, could, I, could, I could see Gosling mm-hmm. I could see Gosling I don't know I'm not like I would cast Peter Stormare As uh, as the Peter Lorre part
0: Oh I was going I thought you were gonna go With the lead Nazi role
1: Oh that's as even the Conrad better. Yeah think, okay, he'd, be, he'd be actually be A good Conrad Veid I as think well, that'd yeah. be
0: good For the, for the uh, uh, Peter Lorre mm-hmm. role You want someone who's got Like brings some weird Buscemi, (laughs) yeah, be kind of honestly almost be too distracting though. Man, at this point, he's Mm. such a respected Mm. figure. Like, I kind of want someone who's someone who
1: could play a little bit more of a convincing scumbag. Yeah, I want someone who like bleeds creep. (laughs) You know, like who's just a
0: who's just a Mm. freaky freaky deaky actor. Like who like (laughs) you you look at them and you just go, Nah, I don't want to. I don't want to visit their house. Like.
1: (laughs) Hmm. Um, You know who would be good Johnny Knoxville I would guess Johnny Knoxville That might be a little bit of a a daring choice He's he's not not, German You're not wrong though He's the type Like like I I would I expect unsavory things from that guy
0: Hmm.
1: Actually you know who I kind of want to play in the Conrad Veidt role
0: Patrick Wilson Peter wilson yeah he's a good creepy guy and like, you mm. don't give him enough credit for that because he has like those like heroic conjuring roles or whatever like that yeah. but that's like a weirdo like he's actually like really unsettling like in the tall mm. grass he's like really yeah. good in that
1: oh I, I know this is kind of a gimme and no one would cast this guy because he's too pigeonholed by star trek but i think armin shimmerman <laughs> who played quark on deep space nine like today uh-huh. could play the peter Lawyer role really well because like, because he's yeah. kind of evoking that with cork anyway so why not just give him that part
0: no I mean you're mm. not wrong mm. um we haven't touched ilsa so we got mm. Ryan oh, yeah. Gosling right. who I'm not super sold on but I'm fine with he'll he'll sell the movie who do we get for I want to have someone with like some real personality to her like yeah. like some real depth to her mm. you know um
1: Oh, oh, golly! I forgot her. From "Blue" is the warmest color. What was her name? Laetitia Dune. Laetitia do Yeah, that, I, she she's been. I buy she's that. She's been asked to play kind of icy roles in the past, but she can play something a, a little. She is more capable of playing like warmer, more humane roles. No, I buy that. Uh, I can totally buy
0: that. That works. Yeah, okay. So you're Gosling. Léa this is a very classy movie. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, who do? We and she's ha- also French. So, who do we have for Claude like- Rains again? I,
1: I, I, I said Ryan Reynolds, but you can cast somebody else.
0: No, I think um, he's too young. He's going to, he's going to be distracting. He's going to seem mm. like the lead. Oh he's yeah, not. He's got to, you got to have someone who reads mm. as support. Mm. Turturro. Mm.
1: Turturro. Turturro would be
0: better in the um, uh, Sydney Greenstreet role. Oh yeah. Yeah. As,
1: as long as we're filching cast members from uh, the big Lebowski. Uh, <laughs> when well, I get John Goodman in the Sydney Greenstreet role. Maybe I can kind of see it. I, mean, I can kind of see it. Who
0: do you get? Um, okay, so we need we need an Ilsa, and we need um um what's his name the guy she married? <laughs> Who did the, she marry? The, the French
1: revolutionary. Yeah, but what's his name? Mm-hmm. What's the actor's name? Let's try Hans Conried. Hans
0: Conried. Thank
1: you. No, not or, Hans, Hans Conried. Um, he was he was Captain Hook. Pa- Paul. H- Henry. Hunried. Yeah. Hans. I. I <laughs> Similar names Just, just uh, Crossed wires Crossed wires Because
0: um, you want someone Who's about the same age As Gosling So someone like In their 30s But, but it's kind of serious Yeah Someone who has like Some real Like pain Yeah uh, To them And I think it convey mm. that mm-hmm. uh, Really well um, Well how old Are the characters in, in Well I mean Humphrey Bogart's Not in his 20s He's got to be That's At least true. in his
1: late 30s well, I think I,
0: I think Ilsa's Ryan Gosling's a little...
1: not in his twenties either. No, I'm
0: saying like you want mm. someone around that age, and then Ilsa. I think she's a little younger, but she's not like young. She's yeah. got to be at least in her late twenties. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know how interesting this is to
1: listen. Yeah, to. I'm sorry. We're just sort of. <laughs>
0: I'm sorry, this isn't that fascinating. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, you know, I like. It. I think she's a really talented. Oh, I got it. Huh. Alicia Vikander.
1: Oh there you go She's Yeah, She'd Alicia she, Viconder for sure She'd be fantastic As as Ilsa And, and then we um, need to
0: Paul Henry mm. Who's someone that she was In a relationship with before mm. And now Oh I just had somebody returned. In my brain Just
1: had someone. somebody And I forgot Um Oh um Tom Felton from, no, from the Harry Potter movies here's, here's why I he's, what, he's actually a really Versatile actor He is a versatile he, yeah.
0: actor And I like him a lot Here's why I don't like that Hmm I think the person who is vying for Ilsa's affections, and if you know the end of the Casablanca, you know she ends up with them. Mm. It's complicated, but she does. Has got to seem to the audience, at like a glance, to be a plausible alternative to our hero. Okay. So when you see Ryan Gosling and Tom Felton, mm. I mean, yeah, okay, I'm sure Tom Felton has his fans. I think most people are going to go Gosling. So you want someone <laughs> who's Gosling-ish and... All right. So my my um um my first thought is James McAvoy.
1: Okay, yeah, McAvoy.
0: Yeah, as uh,
1: the I, I like McAvoy. Just go crazy, McAvoy. There Do whatever.
0: Go. All right, yeah, that's Casablanca. I don't know if it's any good or not, but
1: <laughs> we should move on. Yeah, let's move on to another letter. All, All right, we, moving me, on. I hope it. that
0: hope, that's a, hope that was of interest to you, letter <laughs> person.
1: Um, this one comes from Frank M. Hi, Frank M. Uh, hello, Messrs. Whitney and Bibiani. Uh, Next week, I will be taking my mother out for her birthday to see The Wizard of Oz on the big screen at a local theater that has started playing older movies on Wednesday nights. That's exciting. Repertory. I love it. Living in the middle of nowhere, Illinois, is something that just doesn't generally... uh, This is something that just doesn't generally happen. Hmm. I'm excited because it's both our first time seeing this wonderful movie on the big screen. Oh, I've actually never seen it on the big screen either. Really? Never came up. Yeah, I, they,
0: I wasn't allowed to watch Wizard of Oz when I was a kid because my mother was too scared of the flying monkeys and oh, wouldn't yeah. let it in the house. So I didn't mm-hmm. see Wizard of Oz until it was like 18. OK. And then it just never came up on the big screen.
1: I remember at some point there was like an anniversary screening. it was for like the 75th anniversary. Yeah. 2004. Like it screens and every they, once in a they, while. They, anyway. re, they remastered it and they re-released it. And I saw it on the big screen just amongst all of the multiplex fare. Yeah. That was really cool. Uh, they did the same thing with Gone with the Wind. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Uh, can you recall your favorite experience seeing an older movie on the big screen for the first time? Ooh. Uh, I, you know, I have a good one for that. Yeah, um, what you got? When uh, Francis Ford Coppola re-edited Apocalypse Now. that mm. uh, They released it as the Apocalypse Now Redux. And uh, I know it's pronounced redo. I don't care. I like Redux better.
0: <laughs> Redux is better. We're yeah. just going to go with
1: it. <laughs> and... It was, It didn't have, like, a wide release because they tried to do it roadshow style, the mm. same way they did with the original release. No opening credits, no closing credits. They just sort of bring the lights down and you get to experience the whole movie. The version we saw was nearly three hours long, so we're in there for the long haul. <laughs> and and it's a depressive movie. Like, there's not any levity in that film whatsoever. And there's all these new scenes, so we're picking out what's new. And it looks really great because they remastered the whole thing. It's on film. I went to, um, I forgot the name of the theater, but it used to be over in Century City, that gigantic multiplex that they tore down. Where they filmed Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, where the, where yeah, the Sh- yeah! It was yeah. across from the Schubert Theater, where Cats played for the longest time. Yeah, it was actually um, it was kind of tucked away. Actually, it was, it was kind, kind of hard to find. It was kind of tucked away, but it was a great theater. They had one great, like gigantic, two thousand person central movie house. Uh, that's where I saw uh, the premiere of Mystery Men. Oh, It's wow. where I saw uh, Eyes Wide Shot on the big screen. It was really fantastic, that's and great. That's, that's where I saw Apocalypse Now Redux. I went there with my mom. Uh, she had never seen it before. I had never seen it before. I think she maybe had seen it when she was younger, but, uh, because it was in so few theaters, it was packed with everybody who's really interested in it, in it, uh, that, which it was really close to the VA hospital. So it was full of Vietnam vets. Oh, the, like the whole, like you could see guys in their jackets yeah. and they're just really eager to see this like really depressive movie kind of condemning the war. And they're just on board for apocalypse now. <laughs> and, the lights go down. Everybody's really eager to see it. The first thing that comes up, theater-mandated shampoo commercial. <laughs> this is not going to play with any previews. This wasn't going to play with any ads. They were just supposed to bring the lights down and do roadshow. to start the movie. No previews. <laughs> and, they and they show, it was, yeah, I was like, <laughs> and, and be sure to buy Fructis. And there's all these pretty women, like, whipping their hair around. And they're in brightly colored outfits. And there's water splashing. And kiwis going through a cascade of water. And wouldn't you like to wash your hair? <laughs> One of the few times I've seen an ad booed. <laughs> I'm not buying fructus ever again. Let's read the room for <laughs> <this>. <laughs> the room Theater manager. Take that shit off. <laughs> this is a Vietnam theater full of a thousand Vietnam vets, dude. I want to see your fructus ad.
0: When I saw Jarhead in a yeah. theater, and if you haven't seen Jarhead, it's Sam Mendes' follow-up to um mm. actually it was his third follow up to American Beauty, but it's a you know, it's a film about, about the, the Iraq war. war and it's about how We trained all of these young men to kill, and then we didn't let them. (laughs) and and, and
1: that kind of messed them up as well. It's
0: a really just a damning thing about the whole you know indoctrination militarization process. And it opened with a recruitment video for the Marines. Oh God! And I was just like, Ah, Mm -hmm. maybe this was a poor choice of placement Mm -hmm. for the recruitment ad. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of like Because I've seen a lot of movies Like you know retro movies on the big screen And some mm. of them were game changers for me And some of them were just really really fun uh, A story I've told before I uh, was a movie that came out just before I was born Raiders of the Lost Ark mm. um, I saw that at a midnight screening I'd seen it a bunch of times on television But what I hadn't realized was I'd never seen the ending Because I thought it <laughs> ended I thought it ended with, with the Indy, submarine. Yeah. yeah I thought it ended with Indy and Marion Like getting into that huge fight with the plane and then there's the car chase and then they've got the Ark and then they get on a boat and they kiss and I'm like, cool. So we're done. <laughs> the
1: movie could have ended there. And so I just stopped watching. So you never actually saw the Ark sequence.
0: No, I never did. I was. It's perfectly satisfying that way. Like, it's fine. Um, So I'm watching it in a theater and then it just keeps going and mm-hmm. I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> so that was very surreal. That's it was a fun. lot of fun. And I got to re- I got to rewatch it for the first time, basically. Yeah, yeah. which is a real hoot. Um, they yeah. had a screening, a special anniversary screening, probably been like the 50th anniversary or something. At the time when the th- for the third man.
1: Oh, nice. Uh, in yeah, they the late 90s. They remastered that in like 98-ish. Around, yeah. Was, somewhere around It was like there, the 50th yeah.
0: anniversary. And I'd seen it like on home video, but on like a really crappy VHS you'd like mm. buy for $5 from a pharmacy. And... Uh, seeing it on the big screen was such a revelation. I think I stayed and watched it twice. It's <laughs> nice. so incredibly nice. dynamic to see that movie on the big screen. I, that
1: yeah. was one of the first DVDs I ever saw. Oh, there you go. And you, know, you compare a, a, a VHS to a DVD and it's like night and day. And all of yeah. a sudden I'm watching this Criterion DVD of the third man. It's like, wow, there's like detail in this scene.
0: Uh, I remember when you and I went to see Chimes at Midnight. Oh, now yeah, a very yeah. Because yeah. that's a movie, that's an Orson Welles movie I hadn't, it was unavailable for so goddamn long, mm-hmm. I'd never seen it, I kept hearing about it, it was considered like the great Orson Welles movie that no one had ever seen. And then they finally remastered it, and you and I went out. It was, like, the first weekend in January. Right. And uh, we were, like, each other's plus one or something. <laughs>
1: it was at uh, a place called The Cine Family, which uh, is was a great repertory movie house run by Total Creeps. Yeah,
0: it ended up closing amidst horrible scandal. Mm-hmm. But uh, there were a lot of great movies that aired there, and that was one of them. And, yeah, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, those are some okay. examples, I guess.
1: I remember... Uh, One more before Uh, we move on. Please, Uh, I I saw the Shining on the big screen uh, uh, for the first the first time I saw the Shining on the big screen, and uh, this was one I had seen many times on home video. But I went to go see it on the big screen, thinking, "Oh, this is going to be great." First of all, they presented it in one three seven aspect ratio. Uh There's some controversy as to which is the quote correct one. Yeah. And you know, how, how is this supposed to be presented? Well, Kubrick said this, but it actually works better this way. And, and <sighs> Kubrick was wrong about this, but he was right about this. And it nice. actually fluctuates throughout the film and whatever, whatever. We presented it in 137. That was the decision the projectionist made. Yeah. First of all, that actually, I think, added to it because there are so many lo- elongated shots tracking down long square hallways. Yeah. It feels like... Or, but yeah, like you're kind of sinking into the screen a little bit. Yeah. Also, something I'd never noticed before because I was just watching it on TV is the sound in that movie. Oh, yeah. And if you're if you're in a quiet room with a bunch of people ready to be terrified, you begin to notice that the walls are whispering. Yeah. Throughout that whole damn movie. It's so scary. There's like these little tiny subtle whisper noises that are just sort of floating through the air. And you realize I am in a ghost's brain. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm even even scareder.
0: Now that's really awesome. That, that
1: was a really great experience as yeah. well. Well, yeah, keep going to that those repertory screenings. I yeah, know it's difficult can. to find those across the country. Um, yeah, we're
0: lucky. We live in Los Angeles. Like yeah, a lot of the major metropolitan areas, there's multiple yeah, I, theaters. I, I but
1: work at a repertory house, so it's yeah. You know,
0: but wherever common you common where we are, wherever you can find them, it is a very special experience. And I'm glad you get to share that with your family. Mm-hmm. That's lovely.
1: Okay, uh, let's do one more. Yeah, uh, let's, yeah, we got a little time. A little one more, or two more. Uh, this one's from Hayden. Uh, hello, Hayden. One of our many Haydens. Uh, one. Of, yeah, we have several Haydens. Uh, out of all the 61 films I've seen this year, Todd Phillips' Joker is the worst of them all. <laughs> wow! Even uh, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan, but worst? Wow. Uh, okay, fair enough. Let's do this. See Serenity. Uh, sure, I've, <laughs> I've stayed away from some of the supposedly really terrible films this year, but I... I doubt wasting my time with the fanatic would make the would make Joker any better. Maybe uh, not. Maybe, uh, anyway. fanatic, fanatic's pretty awful. Yeah. Uh, maybe not the worst offensive, but by far the uh, biggest is the allegorical nature of Arthur, or really the lack thereof. Yeah. Uh, since the film is so politically vague, this could be wrong, but I felt that Phillips was trying to use Arthur as a cipher for modern-day mass shooters. That's been a, a, yeah. a widespread criticism, yeah. yeah. Uh, if so, Phillips has no clue about the real world. Before killing the talk show host, Arthur explains how he doesn't actually care about politics as an association with the clown riots is, uh, they, uh, is to only serve his act. The concept of, quote, chaotic neutral doesn't often apply to the real world. If you do the most basic research, you'll learn that these mass shooters are highly motivated and political. Mm. You could maybe argue that Arthur's real goal is to gain attention. At best, this is slightly hinted at, and at worst, not explored at all. We never really seen Arthur gain much pleasure from his newfound attention, with the exception of a few lines and moments. Even Even at the end, Phillips makes it a point to show that he has become a symbol involuntarily. Also, the only time Arthur ever... Uh, other dons the rioters clown mask is when he has to escape the police on a subway since Arthur doesn't have... Modern parallel, any commentary is non-existent. To loosely quote the Film Stage podcast, it's like Todd Phillips had NMSNBC on in the background when writing and occasionally paid lip service to some hot-button topics. Yeah, Um, I mean, that's... That's fair. I I think think that that last comment is definitely fair.
0: Yeah, it's a film that wants to evoke seriousness and topicality without actually doing any of the goddamn work. Yeah, yeah. um, You know, we're just like, hey, look, politics are a thing. It's all happening in the background cool. You got anything to say or explore? Not a damn thing. Mm. We're just doing a superhero story, but we're not doing a superhero mm. story, but we're never going to go much further than a typical superhero story, mm. but we're going to act like we do. Mm. Oh my
1: <laughs> God. You're,
0: you barely exist. Yeah, yeah, the movie yeah. barely it's, exists.
1: If they had done something a little bit more like just lure and straightforward and did the comic book story, like the Mark Steven Johnson version, uh, I'm, that's not lurid That's just that's. No marks. I mean But he, he did uh, He did Ghost Rider And he did Daredevil And I think those right, I don't ones think have lurid, I not well, think they're lurid though They're very I, mainstream by, by lurid I mean Just sort of like A little bit more ex- Mainstream is a better word A yeah. little bit more Acceptably Superheroish. Yeah. I feel like uh, the Daredevil film in particular captures a very specific type of early 2000s comic book that I'm familiar with. Like, mm-hmm. it got that tone just right. It's not a popular tone. I don't think it's a very good tone. But it, but fair but, enough. But it got it right. Like, he, he yeah. There's did a what confident he tone to it, regardless yeah, yeah, yeah. of whether it was a good yeah, idea. It wasn't, wasn't muddled at all. He did it straightforward. And um, I, I'm one of the few defenders of that movie. I'm not even, I am not. don't even love it. I just kind of like it. Yeah. Um, If Joker had done that, I think it would have been a little bit more acceptable because it would have been a little bit more empty on the surface. We would have been able to accept it as just sort of a simple comic book story. Yeah. But that he wrapped it in this serious Scorsesean style. Yeah. It's like inviting the audience to read a little bit more. It's, it's br- no, he's bringing, telling yeah, you, this is a serious
0: movie yeah, and Dig in, and mm-hmm. once you do, you realize it's it's hollow Yeah, there's not a lot to it's dig just, It's through. just frosting It's nothing mm-hmm. Because, again, you start actually Okay, so we're talking about mental health Great, okay, that's an mm-hmm. important topic We talked about it just on the show yeah. What's in there? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, the system failed him Agreed Okay mm-hmm. uh, He she should be on meds uh, uh, Agreed mm-hmm. uh, He is dangerous OK, what's his psychology? Because his, well, you need to actually think about what's good because when he's a vague boogeyman cypher, yeah. you can get away with a lot mm. because that's he just represents chaos. That's fine. That's what uh, Heath Ledger's Joker did. And there's a few hints at like actual real world depth in there, but they never tell you mm. he's a representational figure. You're trying to create a very specific humanized version of the Joker, which requires you to add actual effects. Like instead, yeah. instead, you add melodramatic plot contrivance and superficial mm. ideas about mental health issues and the larger societal issues that exasperate those. Mm. You're not actually saying anything, nor are you really revealing anything. Mm. Ultimately, you come up with something that's just as vague, except you didn't have the guts To say Mm. it's vague.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I hated that. That sucked. (laughs) Yeah, and and if if this had been a much more cynical film about politicslessness, if if this mm-hmm. Joker really were a nihilist, mm-hmm. and if he was being yeah. used by other people as a figurehead, yeah, he, that's a story. He would need to have be used used by other people as a figurehead while he actively rejected that. Yeah, that was uh, uh, one of the more interesting elements of in this that big mess of Hunger Games movies. Yeah, there was one that's little really inter- point, yeah. one little interesting element how the how. Uh, katniss the main yeah. character was being manipulated by the media into something she wasn't and she kind of resented that i wish the films were about that it was just one tiny element of this huge complicated thing
0: a movie that comes to um, mind that's about that is a underrated sergio leone western called fistful of dynamite aka duck you sucker <laughs> great saw, title
1: saw that with my dad because no, everyone sees that film with their dad <laughs> i saw that in college actually uh but it's uh is it eli wallach in that no it's it's uh, James Coburn and Rod Steiger Rod
0: Steiger yeah. plays a thief He's a murderer And a thief Who runs so, into He
1: plays a Mexican I know. Rod Steiger plays a Mexican <laughs> I know, I
0: know Charles, Charles, Charlton Heston played a Mexican in Touch of Evil These are bad times But the movie surrounding it's quite interesting And he runs afoul of um, an Irish revolutionary He has escaped from Ireland And he's here to help with the Mexican Revolution He's an explosives expert mm. And he's played by James Coburn, and James Coburn tricks this unrepentant, monstrous criminal into becoming a hero of the revolution. <laughs> like, he tells him, like, oh, yeah, it's all this gold in here. No, it's actually refugees, and you just rescued them. Ha-ha, you're a hero now. No! Damn it, I didn't want to be a hero. And it's that's a great story, and there's a lot to be done with that. And yeah,
1: the, uh, he, they just sort of shoehorn it in right at you know, the end that,
0: of Joker as if it means something, but you know, it doesn't that, unless you make it mean something. The, the
1: film sprinkled in a lot of politic without engaging with any actual politic, and I yeah. think that's why a lot of people are really frustrated by it because, and I was, because it, it it actually skirts up to some pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, and it does address a lot of that kind of the, the lone shooter incel stuff that a lot of critics have noticed. It it's, comes close. It to has being a, a lot yeah. of the that language in there, but it's it's so broad and it's so vague and it says so many different things half acidly all amidst this really rote comic book story well and that's the thing I think
0: you, you said right now that this mm. is why a lot of people reject it because it tries to be serious but it's actually hollow mm. ironically I think that's why a lot of people are embracing it because this is the exact level of seriousness they want from their superhero stuff they yeah. wanted to brush the surface of something declare the greatness of the superhero genre but not actually become the type of serious drama that they otherwise reject like if you love Joker and you think that it's a really deep metaphor for classifieds etc mm-hmm. um you know what movie you should be seeing this weekend parasite
1: <laughs> if you can
0: find if you're in a uh-huh. city where, where pong Jung ho's new film parasite is coming out that movie is and we'll re- review it on this week's critically acclaimed and I can't wait that movie is absolutely thrilling, completely unpredictable, funny, frightening, relevant, mm-hmm. explores the issues that it brings up in an engaging and entertaining way. And if it was about supervillains, a lot of people would go see yeah. it. But because it's not, they're not mm-hmm. going to. <laughs> Imagine it takes place in the Joker verse. Just go and you'll see and you'll see like kind of like what witty and I are getting at in terms of this is mm-hmm. the kind of depth that we would actually yeah. like. Well- from that kind of tale.
1: Um, a, a writer I really like, Scott Mendelssohn, he writes for Forbes. Mm. Um, he wrote a really interesting piece recently that has gotten me thinking a lot mm. about how uh, Marvel, the MCU, specifically starting with Captain America, the Winter Soldier, that one in particular, has destroyed genre. Mm. Because what it's done is... Uh, and I understand why a lot of people are drawn to fantasy and science fiction stories because mm-hmm. it allows uh, a serious topic to be handled, uh, to be wrapped in something a little bit more frivolous, uh, palatable. Uh, palatable. Spoonful yeah. of sugar helps the medicine exactly. go down. It, exactly. Yeah. It's easier to take a serious drama if you dress it in Captain America's costume, yeah. and. The even though this whether or not they were actually successful in doing this, the marketing narrative was: this is a nineteen, a steely nineteen seventies political thriller, but a superhero version of it.
0: You're talking about Winter Soldier, With,
1: specifically Winter yeah. Soldier, and that was kind of their marketing going forward. The Spider-Man, it's a teen comedy, but it's the superhero version of it. This yeah. is a, a space opera, but it's the superhero version of yeah. it. This and is now, a, this
0: is a trippy mm, uh, enlightenment story, but it's yeah, a superhero. But it's a superhero, superhero yeah, movie.
1: Yeah, so yeah. now. We kind of require the, the spoonful of superhero to eat anything. Yeah. And if you are presenting audiences with the thing without the spoon of superhero, they're not going to take it anymore. Yeah. That's like we need to wean
0: ourselves off. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm suggesting right now. Like, okay, so you like the Joker. Mm. Okay. Take br- that's, that's, Brush
1: the superhero part off of that. Yeah.
0: Just take away the actual Joker part. Mm. Would you still like the movie? Yeah. If the answer is yes, Cool. An entire world of cinema has just opened up to
1: you. Yeah, and there's
0: my point is just there's one opening this week that would be perfect if you wanted to use that as your gateway to more serious. Because if Joker isn't a gateway to more serious cinema for people who mostly go to the movie theater for superhero Mm. stuff, yeah, then I'm going to argue it's useless.
1: That That's well, the thing. If and it serves the way, it's cool. If it's I not, would wa- it's not. I wouldn't want to make that argument for any of these superhero movies. It's like, oh, it's like a teen drama, but it's the superhero version. Great. You know how many great teen dramas aren't the superhero version that you can watch right now? Like if Have Ed- you seen Say Anything yet? You know, If Edge of Seventeen was about Gwen Stacy...
0: Would you have gone? Cool. Then just pretend it's Gwen Stacy and go. (laughs) Just change your name. I don't give a shit. You'll get something out of it.
1: Yeah. And and it's it's kind of frustrating as critics to see that people need training wheels all the time, essentially. And I think Joker is a serious movie, but it's the training wheels version of it because there's – it looks like something that's actually better. And – yeah I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. If if it's this is not uh, something you're going to eventually take the training wheels off of and see a Scorsese movie mm-hmm. and go see Mean Streets and go see King of Comedy, I actually haven't seen King of Comedy. Maybe so I need good. to. Yeah, you do. Know. But but I've seen Mean Streets. <laughs> sure, I've seen a lot of a lot of those early yeah. Scorsese crime movies. You're not and,
0: illiterate; just haven't seen that one movie. Yeah,
1: you should. Uh, but yeah. This is If this is going to be your first taste Take other tastes yeah. go, go further Brush the superhero thing off And try what it feels like without it Because you're actually going to find great art Underneath all of it.
0: And I'm going to argue that mm. One of the issues with that is that Although obviously people aren't going to see Movies like Parasite uh, mm. on the level I mean, I haven't seen the numbers But I guarantee you it's not going to make 96 million dollars this weekend uh-huh. um, They're not seeing it on that level However, there is an audience for those movies They do make money They are respected and appreciated um, the problem is that we only talk about the ones that make money. Yeah, well, you know the, the, Those are the ones that are advertised.
1: Those are the ones that, that, are, dri- the the most, ones that drive
0: yeah. advertising. Those are the ones that uh, people on podcasts and TV shows, etc., they're going to spend the most time talking about. And as mm-hmm. a result, they feel more ubiquitous than they actually are. There are tons of really ambitious, dramatic mm-hmm. movies made by people who care about those genres for people who care about those genres. My point is this. If Joker is popular, and it's popular because it's not like other superhero movies then the thing that it is should be popular without the superhero shed. Yeah. yeah. So get cracking. If you love Joker, <laughs> go.
1: There's so much. Mm. Jo- step, step, step on Joker, step up, and grab the, the next thing. Yeah. Mm. Use it as a, as a stepping stone. Use mm. it as a gateway. Anyway,
0: that's it for We've Got Mail this week. I want to thank everybody for, for listening, especially for writing in. Um, it's been a lot of fun. We're going to do this every single week. Mm -hmm. From now on, we're not sure if we're going to find a date for it. This got bumped back a little bit due to some Mm -hmm. physical illness uh, that was no one's fault, really.
1: Mm -hmm. Illness is just illness.
0: It sucks. What are you going to do? But um, uh, in any case, yeah, email us, letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We will read as many letters as we can on the show, and it'll be easier for us Mm -hmm. to stay on top of things now that we're doing this more regularly. Um, Thank you, everybody, for subscribing to the Critically Acclaimed Network. Leave us a review if you haven't already. That would be really helpful. If you have the means and you're inclined to do so, we sure would appreciate it if you went on down to Patreon.com slash CriticAcclaim, uh, where you can contribute to the show and get a whole bunch of perks like voting for future episodes, uh, tons of exclusive podcasts about subjects like Star Trek and Academy Award nominees for Best Picture. We got commentary tracks. We got Google Hangouts. We got a lot of good stuff over there. Um, and uh, don't forget, real fast, Whitney, plug your radio
1: show. That's right. I I authored and made with uh, actors and music and sound effects a thirty minute audio drama, and it is it's called the Tenth Muse, and it's this really a pleasant hangout comedy drama with a lot of cusses in it about a lesbian bar. It's got time travel. It's got uh, ancient poetry. It's got a talking crab. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just contact me via whatever social media you can find me on. Uh, you can contact me via uh, Twitter at Whitney Seibold or uh, Instagram, same thing. And yeah, you can Venmo me or PayPal me. I'm asking 10 bucks for it. And I can send you an MP3 of this thing that I made. And I think it's really exciting. I was really happy to make it. I hope to make more in the future, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. So, yeah, please contact me. Buy a copy of that.
0: And if you're a Patreon you, you subscriber— possibly regret it. If you're a Patreon subscriber at the $20 level or more, uh, you get that that's with true. no additional and cost. That, that's that's a, just that, part of the perks. That
1: is a, one of the perks for our $20 subscribers. Yeah. If you're a, a high, one of our highest-level patrons, you get that anyway.
0: Yeah. Um, so uh, we'll be back uh, real soon. We got another episode of Critically Acclaimed coming, where we're going to review Parasite, which we talked up a lot on this episode. A bunch of other new movies as well. Uh, got more canceled too soon coming. We got Jekyll coming up in the next couple of days. Uh, stick around because uh, we're making all these podcasts, and we really hope uh, you enjoy t- taking together.
1: our passion and making it hashen.
0: uh If you're not following us on Twitter, I'm at William DeBiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Together we are at Critic Acclaim and. Uh, Shoot how do we sign off on a letters podcast Sincerely
1: Bibbs and Whitney